Let's uh, jump in this morning. Um, when you think about how our lives progress, I would contend that it's a series of what I call catalyzing events separated by routines and rhythms of the day-to-day -day tasks and responsibilities that we have. We move forward faithfully taking small steps daily to do our best to follow the one that we call Lord, but every now and again, a major event will come into our lives, and it acts as a catalyst, a catalyst for growth or a catalyst for change. And these are the moments in our lives where things change, where we have to embrace new realities, where we are forced to grow. There are two types of catalyzing events. There are the things that happen to us, things that are outside of our control. Could be something like losing a family member. Could be the loss of a job. It could be abuse that was sustained over a number of years, or just maybe one instance. These are the things that become etched in our memories, and they shape us, for better or for worse. How many people uh, would consider themselves to be Spokane natives? Raise your hand. All right, so a little less than half of us. So um, here's something you need to know about me. I absolutely love the city of Spokane and claim this place as my homeland. Uh, and so if you were a Spokane native, you know what happened in October of 1991. Anybody remember what this was? Firestorm. How many people remember Firestorm, Julie? Yeah. Okay, so if you've lived here for a long time, you remember Firestorm, October 16th of 1991. There were 90-plus fires that started in our county. And uh, our, ho our house that uh, I grew up in was actually kind of close to one of these fires. And so on the news, they started the procedures of uh, these are some places that may need to be evacuated because we don't know if we can contain these fires. And so my mom, uh, it, I mean, when this kind of, when a house evacuation comes up, moms just get frantic. That's what moms do. And so my mom, uh, calm, although kind of frantic in a mom way, began running around the house and scrambling and figuring out, okay, if we have to evacuate, what are the things we need to pull out of the house? And so she's, uh, you know, pulling like photo albums uh, off of the shelves and she's getting important documents and jewelry and all, you know, all of the things that we'd say, man, we cannot lose this kind of stuff. And she handed me a, uh, a laundry basket and she handed my sister, I had a, an older sister who was still living at home at the time, a laundry basket. And she said, Whatever you can fill in this laundry basket, the most important things to you, this is what you need to put in there because we may need to evacuate and everything may burn down. So whatever's most important to you, it has to fit in the laundry basket and then if we evacuate, that's what you grab and take. And so I, I believe I was 10 at the time, 9 or 10, and I kind of hold this laundry basket a, a little uh, flustered like, okay, I, I guess I'll go down to my room and figure out what are the most important things, the most essential things in my life. About 10 minutes goes by, and my mom's upstairs still scrambling around, and I come up with my laundry basket, and I only had two items in my laundry basket. The first was my baseball card collection. Irreplaceable. <laughs> well over a thousand cards at this point, and it was the most important thing in my life. And the second item that I had was my new stick of deodorant. <laughs> you see, about two weeks previous to that, we had a family conversation about, Kevin, you're reaching the age 
where deodorant is now a reality in your life. And I took that to heart and said, baseball cards in the laundry basket and my new stick of deodorant in the laundry basket. Other than that, I had the clothes on my back and I was good. Firestorm could have come through, swept through our house, but I had everything that was important. Ultimately, our family did not need to evacuate, but honestly, hundreds of families did. There were, uh, I think, over 100 families that lost their homes. There was one family who actually lost a loved one. Firestorm was a catalyzing event, certainly for those individual families, but then also for our community of Spokane. It's shaped fire protocol going forward. It's one of those things that we can look back on uh, people who have lived here for a long time and remember. The second type of catalyzing event are the things that we choose ourselves. Marriage, having a kid to some degree, moving to a a new city, the college we go to. In fact, yesterday I had the uh, distinct privilege of helping my parents move out of their home that they have lived in for almost 40 years. That's a catalyzing event, right? This place they've called home for almost 40 years will no longer be home for them. Something that they have chosen, and they're excited about it. All of these things force growth in different ways. You know, another example that we have talked a lot about in the last couple months, uh, another example of a catalyzing event, would be our choosing to move to this building. This is, this will always be a catalyzing event for our community. Because it's not just a geographical change, it's a DNA change for us in a lot of ways. It's changing who we are. It's changing who we have to be because we are now dealing with and embracing new realities in this location. This will shape us. This has shaped us. And I'll pause right here and I'll say I am incredibly proud to be a part of this community for that very reason. Who willingly chose this new reality. Who has sacrificially given to make this a reality. Who has given of their time. Who has served relentlessly to make this a reality. We chose this catalyzing event in our history of a community. So this morning's message was going to be entitled, Third and Howard. And we were going to begin to look at, now that we've chosen this, now that we find ourselves here, what does this actually look like for us? What is the reality of calling Third and Howard our home? How does that shape us moving forward? How should we act? How should we be? And it was going to be a discussion on the second type of catalyzing event, the one that we chose But instead, we got to talk about a little bit of a different subject this morning. The first type of catalyzing event, the things that happen to us. When I was little, we would have these uh, things called family meetings. Family meetings were when something happens in the family, there's a situation event that occurs that you have to get the family together, and you've got to find a place to sit, usually the kitchen table for us or in the kitchen somewhere. And you have to have an honest and transparent discussion about that experience, that event, that whatever, that situation that has arisen. It was a time of transparency and vulnerability. Let's recollect, let's reorient, let's have an honest discussion about what's going on. The most common metaphor used to describe the church is family. And so it seems apropos this morning that we would have 
a family meeting to talk about a situation that has arisen in our community. So uh, in order to do that, I'm going to invite up our elders. Uh, this is John, Michelle, and Hope are going to come join the stage. Russ, unfortunately, is not here because he is on family vacation. He left uh, about a week ago, and uh, he actually played around with, should I fly home to be a part of this? Because Russ is exactly who he is, unbelievably pastoral and caring. He said, I'll fly home to be a part of this morning, and then I'll fly back to, to read, uh, join my family. And we said, absolutely not. You're not going to fly home from family, family vacation. We want to honor that time. So normally Russ would be up here with us, but uh, unfortunately um, he is not. Um, but here are our elders. This is Michelle, John, and Hope, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to John. Good morning, family. Um, we are uh, uh, obviously going to be sharing something that's challenging, so I let the, that cat out of the bag. Um, but one of the things that you're going to hear all of us talk about is the idea of having a kingdom perspective. And I want to just preface uh, all of our comments, but when we say the word kingdom perspective, what we mean is the promises that are given to us in the scripture about a world put to rights when God will sit on his throne and everything will be made perfect in the ways that it was meant to be. Uh, and as believers in Christ, we have the opportunity to begin uh, living into that kingdom, something that many theologians call the now but not yet, that we live in a way that says this is the kingdom that we know that is coming and is promised to us, um, and the world uh, will do its darndest to sort of push back against that, but we have this great trust in the place that Jesus has promised us. So I want that to sort of shape all the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, as you know, New Community um, has been going through an enormous amount of transition, uh, moving into the building, those kinds of changes. But really, these transitions have been going on for um, the last five, six years. Um, those of you that have been here for a long time know that we've had lots of staff turnover. Um, we've had uh, the elder board is totally different um, than it was a few years ago. And so we've been sort of in this place of changing and sort of uh, recasting our vision and, and sort of figuring out who we're going to be. Um, and one of the things that has happened during that time is as we've gotten new people into places of leadership and we've uh, been focused on what does it mean to have this building, is that the elders and the staff started to ask some questions about some of our procedures and the ways that we did things. Um, in order to say, are we organized in the best possible way to do the most possible good for Spokane, for you all, and for the kingdom? And one of those questions was um, noticing that we had some questions about how we did our bookkeeping um, and some things like that. How, how do things work? Um, and as a staff and elder team, we were noticing some things that we had questions about, and we were going under the um, opinion that we needed to make some changes so that we could have a clearer sense of how our finances were working, given the expanding mission that we were becoming a part of, having missionaries all over the world partnering with uh, local uh, groups and agencies here in Spokane um, and having this new building. So we had some questions. Um, and so we began to ask questions and try to put some new systems in how we were going to pay attention to our money and do those kinds of things. And as we began asking more questions and, um, and trying to make some changes, um, that resulted in our bookkeeper coming forward last week and admitting that they had been um, embezzling funds from new community uh, for quite some time. Um, we, uh, as a, one of the things I would want to say is that as a group of uh, leaders in the church, 
um, people really rallied around this. So Russ found this out uh, a couple Tuesdays ago, so it's been about 10 days. We wanted to communicate with you all as soon as we had some information that we felt comfortable talking about, that we knew what was going on. But during that period of time, everyone has been working sort of around the clock to try to figure out what's going on. And so um, I just want to say that our staff is an incredible group of people um, and really rallied around this. Um, so my, my part of this morning is to sort of lay out what has happened. Okay, So we had someone that um, it seems as we went back and started to look at our accounts um, from around the time that they became employed, um, began to uh, take funds from our accounts. And the way that was done uh, was through forging checks and then deleting those checks from all of the accounting systems that we received as board members and as staff. So when we were looking at our financial statements, which we do typically on a monthly basis, um, those had all been um, changed and altered so that we couldn't... Uh, we didn't really know what was going on in those finances. Um, the, it, it would appear that this is sort of, uh, that the manipulation of cash and of checks happened pretty quickly into this person's tenure. Um, and so it was a pretty long process of deception and things like that. Um, we are glad that we started asking these questions and that there was some um, wisdom on the part of folks to say, hey, these things maybe don't feel right. There's something going on here. Um, and these things often take a long time to figure out. Um, and so we've, we've discovered those things. We're going to go back through and try to figure out if we can get uh, as clear of a picture as we can of what's been taken. Okay. So now here comes the part where I'm going to give you the information that you're all wanting to know anyway. And then we'll take a pause and pass on. Okay. So uh, it looks that over the past five years that uh, new community uh, through this uh, event has lost around $160,000. Uh, that averages out to be around $30,000 a year. Um, there may be more. There may be uh, numbers that we'll never really uh, be able to figure out, but we're going to do our best to figure that out. Uh, but it's a substantial amount, and it's one that sort of takes us back a little bit. Um, we, uh, we're going to sort of talk through this, but just take a moment there. And, and again, focus on the kingdom as we sort of think through this, right? Like what uh, we want to sort of keep a, a, a posture of trying to live into the grace and peace and the mercy that we've been promised and given. Uh, but it's a challenging uh, thing to sort of take into account. So I'll pause there and then we'll sort of talk about next steps and what we're doing. So obviously we've, you know, as leaders been taken aback really quite off guard and um, and I will say that all of the people that have interfaced with this information have been very um, gracious and measured and very mature and I heartily appreciate that because I think to make good decisions that are uh, worthy of our calling um demands that we have self-control and wisdom and kindness and all the character qualities that we would hope for. Um, this is kind of what I like to say is that this is the Super Bowl for Christians. When things like this happen, we need to figure out how we can get in the game and play at our best in terms of what God would ask of us. And that's going to be different than what the world would say we should do. 
So as leaders, we're really trying to discern um, and have a, a happy balance between prudence and wisdom and justice, um, and, as well as mercy and um, softness and compassion. And negotiating that is, is challenging. We kind of like vacillate on one side or the other, depending on the moment. Um, but I think a, as a collective group, not only leadership, but we ask as the community to, um, to certainly be praying for this community, for yourselves, for our collective um, you know, gatherings, uh, for the leadership, that we will all do our part to um, really step forward and say, we're going to link up and we're not going to uh, do anything that would harm and tarnish new community. And I think that has to do firstly with how we speak to one another about this information and how we speak of this individual that has harmed us in this way. Um, I think it's, it's vital that we, um, that we're honest about our feelings and about our actions at the same time that we are, have filters in place that are godly. Um, that really help us to negotiate this. So that's just sort of, I'll, I'll speak a little more about our posture, but first of all, I wanted to reassure you um, that we, uh, regarding some of the brass tacks of what we've done in the wake of this disclosure and um, kind of systems that are like suddenly <laughs> having to change and put in place. So um, something that had just I, there's a couple huge blessings in this that were sort of the stage was set for us to handle this well actually uh, turns out uh, first of all we have Dave here <laughs> and if anybody knows Dave you just know that we're okay because we have Dave okay <laughs> Dave knows what we need to know and if he doesn't know it he'll find out and we trust him and so in the wake of this, you know, catastrophic um, hit, Dave is whirled into action and has been kind of right hand to all of us. So that's wonderful in terms of overseeing financial aspects and just starting to get to the bottom of things. Um, Brooke is re a recent hire to help with some other um, aspects like, you know, communication and media and things like that. And suddenly we're shifting her over to bookkeeping and uh, we have another role that she's needed in firstly. And so we're gonna put her in that and then secondarily she'll be kind of assuming some of these other duties as the dust settles here. Um, we are changing banks um, to the bank that's just next door to us, Banner. Um, I think it's Banner, is it Banner now? Yeah, um, so that our deposits are just right here and we're not, nobody's having to go across town to carry our deposits to the bank. So that's, that's something that makes a lot of sense to us. Um, we're implementing new systems and procedures with the help of a CPA to safeguard our community from fraud in the future. So um, systems that have not been in place previously are now finding their way to a very systematized um, and procedural way of handling our finances, which we clearly should do. So that, that's a given. Uh, we have obtained a CPA to do monthly reconciliation, rec monthly reconciliation of our books going forward. And this means that the bank account will be reconciled to the reports the staff and elders are receiving. Um, 
we are committed as a church to having professionals look at our books on a monthly or quarterly basis to determine if the reports that are being used are accurate and match what's going in the bank, going on in the bank accounts. So this is something that hadn't happened and is will be happening from this point forward. So, um, uh, you know, just as a point of reassurance, I think that uh, we can know that for instance, the contributions that you put in your bu in the buckets today are safe and secure. They're going to go where they need to go, and we'll know all about it. So, um, we have we feel confident that we can move forward at this point, much more aware and wise about that. Uh, we're in the process of, it, of exploring what needs to be done to determine if additional fraud was committed. Uh, which might involve an auditing process, a forensic audit is being tossed around as a possibility. Not sure what we need to do about that. So we are seeking legal counsel to help us determine the brass tacks um, about, you know, that part. Um, and so not only do we have day-to-day -day systems newly in place, but then we also need uh, counsel as to how to unpack and digest what's happened and then what to do with that information will be another thing that we all need to decide. Um, I will say that also um, the contributions that were put into the symbol account that um, helped get us into this building were not touched. So that is something that is like was separate, completely locked up, and it was just the day-to-day -day money that was gotten into. So know that that whole thing is, nothing will change there. And that's, that's all fine. So I think that's enough to be said about that. We will have a Q&A time afterwards if there's more details that you would like that we know. There's plenty of things that we don't know at this point. And so um, we're just gonna be asking for your patience um, on that. I think the timeliness of us disclosing this to you, I hope shows our hearts that we wanna be transparent and we don't wanna have a lot of backdoor meetings uh, any more than are necessary, um, but rather view this as family and view this as a, as a community burden and a community opportunity for us to grow together and support each other and be wise and you know, figure out actually you know, how we can um, find a third way um, we, we don't want to f default to, you know, just a worldly way that says, you know, whatever that would be, or a way that just kind of wishes it away somehow and maybe even over-spiritualizes the situation, but rather find a middle ground that says, what are we being asked to do character-wise in Christ and faith-wise that would help us step in a way that would grow us and mature us personally and corporately. And the, the end of that maturity is really to reflect Christ to our community. I mean, that's the whole point. The whole point is to be well and then to re reflect the fact that we can be well in the worst of times and in the best of times if we are walking in lockstep with our Savior. And so we hope that this is a moment for us to shine as a group. And we are really leaning into that possibility. And so far, so good. I think we're, we're doing okay. And, and actually, um, you know, despite all this, uh, here we are. We're sitting in this building. Uh, the lights are on, you know. We're good. Um, and so our day-to-day -day runnings are not going to change. 
even with all of this. So that's the other good news um, that, you know, you won't notice anything different actually as you come to worship and you do what you normally do regarding new community. So we're fine. And, and yet, as leaders, we need to be in protection mode and also in, in you know, be, be wise for the future because, you know, money is ministry to us. And so we want that to be um, something that we mind. We mind that very, very well. And we take it very seriously. When you make a contribution to this place, we want you to feel and know that we're doing our best at this point to make it right and make sure those dollars go towards ministry because that's what's most important to us. Um, so that's the brass tacks part of it. I want to move a little bit to maybe some of the impact of this for us. I mean, we've had about 10 days or so to kind of get our feet under us about knowing that someone has harmed us in this way. And that, that was a big hit. And I'm certain that many of you are feeling that hit right now as we sit here. And that is completely normal. And I want to reassure that, you know, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be angry. Um, that's pretty natural when we are basically, you know, sideswiped and didn't see it coming. And um, the person that, the bookkeeper that took money from us um, revealed that she has a gambling addiction. And that was the money that was taken from us was used for that. And so, I mean, this, this really shows, and you know, for me as a psychologist, I understand how addiction can have a life of its own. It, it, it just, it does. And I, have, I can even conceive of the fact that she actually cares about us and loves us at the same time stole from us because that's the ugliness of that whole process. Now that's not to say that there aren't consequences for behaviors and choices, and clearly there are, um, but I think that, that we, it's just information for you to know that there's, there's a, another whole path that this person is walking down, and we would want her to seek treatment and really start to heal in the ways that are gonna be sustainable for her as well as preventing her from harming anyone else in the future. Um, so I want to just encourage you to be alive to the reactions that you might be having. And then as you go to your groups and other community members about how you feel about it, know that it's okay to say it and support each other in that, okay? And through that process, we will all come to a place of acceptance and a place where we can move on and know that we are, we're gonna be fine and we are fine. And um, I, I love that Christian, one of the things that he was reading while we were worshiping in song was um, about how, how the Lord is slow to anger and um, rich in mercy. And that really touched me in, you know, knowing what I knew while we were singing and saying that those words were said, that's it. I mean, that's it. He is slow to anger and rich in mercy, and so should we be, have that same posture. So I just encourage you to 
to know that, but know that, that we may not directly be there. We're not God. We're human. We have our experiences, and that's, that's just fine. We'll just get there when we get there. But that's our goal. Our goal is to be able to know that we are bonding together even more in this adversity, and that's a good thing, that we are being challenged in our faith to really lean into faithfulness and trust that the Lord means us no harm, even if others mean us harm or have harmed us. And, and that's, that's just miraculous. It's just beautiful. And so there is beauty that's revealed in the ugliness. And, and again, I think that's, that's something that is not common. And that is the counterculture way in which I challenge all of us to live through this crisis. In terms of Russ, um, Russ is a consummate pastor. And when this first came to light, his heart was for this person that he has trusted and shepherded himself this all this time. And he is in a very, you know, I think it's a blessing that he's not here right now because although he is on board with what must be done to move forward to protect the community, he just has a pastor's heart for the broken. And that's what he sees when he sees this person. He sees a, a broken woman. And as, as we should, you know, but, um, so pray for him in that ambivalence and in that struggle to be himself as pastor, but also be leader and protector of this community, which, you know, challenges both of those aspects. So finally, I'll just say, um, I think there have been many, um, ways in which this community has been, uh, the way has been paved for us to be here. Uh, one of which is maybe evidenced in this. And I say that because there have been a few important things that have happened just prior to us being here and then now that in my opinion feel like a clearing like our way is being cleared, like cleaned, like house is being clean, cleaned out so that we are set up to be pure and more direct in our ability to minister in this location, in this time, in this space. So that's my sense, and I don't know if anybody else might see it that way, but um, I think that for this to come about now and that this to be ferreted out is very... Um, very key and I think it's you know everything in God's perfect timing and I think that there there are reasons it didn't come out sooner and there are reasons it came out now and so we're gonna we're gonna go with that we're gonna embrace that and um, and just as but as I step back I feel like our house is clean and um, I, I see no other barriers at this point now and so I only can hope that we can like just really be completely free to lean into the spirits guiding into new possibilities for new community. So why doesn't everybody just take a really big deep breath, let it all out? Um, we've given you guys so much information and I know that you are experiencing a wide range of emotion um, and we want to give you the space and the time to process that. Um, like we mentioned, we are going to have a question and answer time afterwards um, for people that want to stick around and get more information. Um, but we also recognize it may take a couple of weeks for you guys to be able to wade through this. Um, but as you go back to your small groups and talk about this, 
um, I thought it would be really important to kind of share with you guys the ways we have seen God working through this. Um, so the first thing that I think is important to remember is that this was kingdom money. Um, and it, it can feel like a personal offense that this money was stolen from our wallets, but it wasn't. Um, and though that's a tragedy that this was taken from the kingdom of God, and I think it's okay to feel that sad or that righteous anger over what could have been done with this money that wasn't done. Um, I think it is important to keep that kingdom focus, um, that this was kingdom money. This was not a personal offense. And then also just seeing, there's three ways in particular that I've really, really seen God working throughout this whole process. Many more, I'm sure, will come to light. But the three that I wanted to share was, one, the people that we have in our community um, that perfectly fit into the roles that we need them to to address the situation. It's been absolutely amazing. Our staff is unbelievable um, stepping up. Our elders have just done an amazing job. Um, we've hired Sarah, who's an accountant, to help us wade through our books. Um, we have legal counsel who's a part of this community. We are taking all of the right steps and able to use the community that God has given us to do that. And that's a huge blessing. Um, the second thing is the miracle that we are still in this building. If this had come to light before, there's a good chance that we wouldn't have bought this building. And we feel so confident that this is exactly where God wants us to be. Um, so when I look back at all of the things that fell into place in order for us to buy this building to begin with, it feels like a miracle. And then when we hear that we're still here, even though we had $160,000 embezzled from us, it's absolutely amazing. So I want you guys to remember that, that this is truly a miracle. Um, and then thirdly, we serve a God that is so much bigger than this. And even though it feels overwhelming and it feels like a betrayal, God will work this to good. Romans 8.28 says all things will work out to good for those who love him. Um, and yes, this is not a good thing, but we serve a God that's bigger and there will be fruit that comes from this. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys with that. Um, God is still moving. New Community has been around for over 25 years and we um, are confident that we have at least 25 more years of kingdom work. Uh, can we thank our elders for coming and being a part of this? Uh, so, happy Father's Day, huh? <laughs> Not uh, the message that we were planning or even wanting to give. Um, uh, one thing that was not said that I think is important to say, uh, we do have some money left in the bank, all right? So... <laughs> Uh, I, I don't want people to leave here saying, man, am I going to show up uh, next Sunday and the doors will be closed. If you do next Sunday, they will be because it's Hoop Fest. <laughs> but uh, not because of this. Um, we have, we can pay our staff. Uh, we can keep the lights on. Um, will there be some adjustments? Likely, yes. Uh, will we have air conditioning in this space this summer? Probably not. But um, we are going to be okay. All right. Um, we do this kind of stuff because new community uh, values vulnerability, we value transparency, and it's important. If we are a family, then we speak as a family. When there is an issue, a family addresses it. And so this was never going to be a thing, uh, like Michelle said, that was taken care of behind closed doors. 
from the very beginning it was going to be how and when do we share. And uh, we felt like this Sunday was the most appropriate way. We had enough information uh, to actually give somewhat of a clear picture. We are still gaining that picture, though, and it will take a little while. Um, this is not a situation that we feel like we need to rush into. Uh, we want to be very, very prudent in how we take steps forward. And so um, as more information comes to light that is pertinent to share, we will share it in this format or in uh, meetings after service or whatever. Uh, but just know that that is coming. We will always be as vulnerable and transparent as we can be. We gathered our small group leaders, uh, our volunteers in the morning, uh, our worship leaders this morning. We communicated with them early. We do that because we view them as the pastors of this community and wanted to involve them. Uh, they are an incredible group of ministers, and uh, they really are the people that are doing the work of the kingdom in the city. And those are the people uh, that can help walk you through this. If you feel like, man, I really need to talk to somebody, I need to wrestle a little bit more with this, um, get a hold of your small group leader, uh, and they can meet with you. Our staff, our elders are available too. We want to be as available to you as you need us to be. Um, I wanted to end with just a, a quick thought. Uh, there's a story in Matthew 17, and a, a tax collector from Capernaum inquires about the taxes that are being paid by the disciples. And uh, there's this kind of this little interaction that goes on, and then Jesus instructs Peter to go to the lake and throw out his fishing line. And that once he catches a fish, Jesus says that he will find a coin in the mouth of the fish which he can then pay their taxes with. Now, if you just pause there, this story is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's a, a ludicrous story. Why go through all of that trouble? Why not just reach in his tunic pocket and pull out the coin to pay the taxes? Or he could have done the classic, like, behind-the-ear trick to pull out the <laughs> coin, you know? But instead, he has Peter go all the way to the lake, go fishing, and the fish that you catch will have a coin in its mouth. I don't think this is just an arbitrary thing that Jesus was doing, just like, uh, Peter, I can't deal with this right now. Why don't you go fishing and figure it out? I think there's actually a real reason, like a tangible illustration that's being done in this story. And I believe it's this. I believe Jesus does it as a mockery of the position of the empire and the place that money holds in our lives. You see, it's a question about taxes, but really it's kind of a question about control and authority. What controls us? Who or what has authority in our lives? That was the question about the taxes. Jesus, will you come under the authority of the empire and pay your taxes? And that slimy, fish-smelling drachma coin illustrated the point that Jesus was not concerned about the things of this world. He wasn't concerned about taxes or Roman occupation or control or authority or money because none of these things hold eternal value. All of these things were an afterthought to the kingdom. And so Jesus says, uh, yeah, I'll pay the taxes. I don't care. Go get it out of the fish's mouth. Not a concern of mine right now. I'm operating at a way bigger level. I share that story not to minimize the gravity of the situation, but at the same point, I am trying to reorient us towards an eternal perspective. This does not, nor should it, define our community. 
Yes, we're now operating in a different reality that we have anticipated. But the work that God has called our community into will continue to happen. It will happen in this place. It will happen in downtown Spokane. It will happen throughout the world. It will continue because we believe that the kingdom cannot nor will it be stopped by something like this. Like I explained earlier, this is a catalyzing event for our community. It can shape us, but in no way do we believe it will stop us. And that is our rallying cry as we move forward. I'm going to in, uh, invite up Julie. Julie's going to uh, kind of pray over the community for us. Um, like all things, this is something that should be covered in prayer. Um, and I'll one more time invite you, directly following the service, if you need uh, or feel like you want more information, if you feel like you have questions to ask, all of our staff and our el uh, elders will be available up here. You can just kind of move toward the front, and uh, we will be here as long as it takes to help people walk through this, uh, to answer any questions that people have. So uh, 